Uh, well, it is officially past Thanksgiving. It is Christmas time. And I want to ask you, what's Christmas like at your house? What's it like at your house? At your apartment? At the place where you are? What, what's it like? Uh, for us, uh, we, yeah, uh, we love to do Christmas traditions. Uh, we have a family of four kids. My wife and I have been married for 20 years. We go 18 and 15, that's family 1.0, and then we go ages 4 and 2, that's family 2.0, at least that's the way we're describing. We have these two different worlds, and, and yet we're bringing these little cute little African-American boys into this very white <laughs> family and traditions that we've done. And one of the things that we've done is always gone and gone chopped down our Christmas tree, and this is what we did yesterday. And so we drove out, this time we had my 18-year-old's a girlfriend who's very, very serious relationship. It's kind of shocking us all. And they're all cuddly in the back seat as we're going. And the toddlers in the middle seats are kind of, you know, throwing things and uh, spilling hot chocolate everywhere. And so we go out, we cut down this Christmas tree. We have this party, come back. We bring uh, the, the tree into the house. And the very first thing that happens is my son goes and puts Andy Gibb on top of the tree. That's what we call it. We used to have this angel that looked exactly like Andy Gibb, you know. Uh, and, uh, and what happened was my 15-year-old daughter always had this kind of like this righteous kind of, that's really not Jesus, that's Andy Gibb, that's not really an angel, that's Andy Gibb kind of thing. And she'll always go rip it off. Well, two or three years ago, she stole and threw away Andy Gibb. And so uh, Andy Gibb is now being replaced with quickly being pushed print off of, you know, images off Google and then we, you know, he'll go and still, so right now we have Andy Gibb, as I woke up this morning, on top of the tree as I'm driving down here, and I'm already going to envision my 15-year-old girl going off and just ripping it down. Well, we do weird, very weird family traditions. A little bit more normal family traditions we do is watching movies. Last night we watched The Christmas Story, and, and I'm singing Bing Crosby this morning. Uh, we also watched Elf uh, two or three days ago, and Elf now has a new meaning to us because Elf, as you remember, is played by Will Ferrell, who uh, is going in search for his biological father, wanting to know that his father loves him. And that, with now two adopted boys, has a whole new meaning of one day they might want to go find their biological father and ask you the question, do you love me? What's interesting in Elf, the thing that the problem with Elf's father, Walter Hobbs, is that he's on the naughty list and he's too much into the adult world. He needs to come down into the kid world to really begin to reciprocate the love that is being given by the actor Will Ferrell. Well, um, we also watched, uh, my son and I love the Christmas story, you know, uh, Ralphie and the, you know, Red Rider, BB Gun, and, and I don't know if you know this, but the tagline to a Christmas story is, um, sometimes Christmas is about getting what you really want. Sometimes Christmas is about getting what you really want. Now, the adult world, we talk to our kids, and we're like, you know, Christmas is not about getting, it's about giving, and it's not about materialism, and, you know, it, 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 so you need to love to give, because to give is better than receive, and obviously Jesus says that, but it doesn't make any difference. 
I mean, for a four-year-old, it's about getting. You know, Christmas is about getting. And every morning, uh, my son is asking me, is it Christmas Eve yet? Is, is today Christmas Eve? And he's looking up the chimney and, you know, all this different stuff that's going on. And, uh, and we're like, no, no, no. The truth is, it's about giving. It's not about getting. But there's something about kids that know sometimes Christmas is really about getting. It's about getting what you really want. You know, uh, my sister wanted to uh, be truthful uh, with her first child about Santa. And, uh, and so there were some questions about this. And the whole thing backfired on her because she's, she was like, if I'm going to tell the truth about Santa, I need also to be in integrity telling the truth about Jesus. And so uh, one day they came around the corner and this child, this three-year-old looked and there was Santa sitting on the throne. And it was against everything he'd been taught. And he looked at Santa and turned to my sister and said, Mommy, you lied to me. Santa is real. Santa is here. Why are kids so interested in Santa? Well, it's about getting <laughs> the guy gifts. He's a giver. And we do need to teach our kids. We do need to make Christmas about giving. But, you know, sometimes Christmas is really about getting. So we have these two different worlds, and sometimes they clash. The adult world in my house, family 1.0 for the most part, although my 15-year-old girl's right in the middle, and then the kid world. And they sometimes clash, and most of the time it's about kids calling us to be, to be more like kids, but a lot of times it's adults asking the kids to grow up and to not be about getting, but to give. What's interesting, uh, because on Christmas morning, what will actually happen is the, the, my four-year-old is going to wake me up at six and say, hey, hey, you know, <laughs> let's go, come on. And what's going to happen is we're going to go down, we're going to, you know, drag our feet and we're going to force him to eat some breakfast first or something against his will just to give a little energy that will last him because we know it's coming up. And he'll rip open his presence, and for the rest of the day, he will get lost in the stories of his imaginations that go with what he got, that go with the gift. And, and the adult world, after the presents are open, it turns to a little bit different subject. It turns to my concerns and my worries and my ambitions and my life and adults sharing and talking back and forth about things that sometimes we agree on and sometimes it causes conflict about and the whole adult world is completely removed on Christmas from the world of the child who has got himself lost in the gift and in the imagination of the story that he has now been sucked into. This clash between the adult world and the kid world at Christmas is huge. And we're going to talk about one person today that she is in the middle of that. She's a 15-year-old girl. She is poor and she is a child. But she's also an adult because she is suddenly discovered she's pregnant out of wedlock. She suddenly discovered that she's about to be scorned by the community. She might even be dumped by her fiancé. She doesn't know. And yet, and yet, she runs 
to understanding that sometimes Christmas is about getting. And she runs to understanding that her gift has given her what she really, really wants at Christmas. Of course, we're talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 1. Verses 46, we're going to go through verse 56. Luke chapter 1, open your Bibles or your apps there. What we're doing here is we are spending the next four weeks, you guys taking a break, and we're going to talk about the songs of Christmas. There are at least four songs here in Luke's gospel where somebody breaks out into praise. Breaks out into praise, where people are getting what they really want. And the first one we're going to talk about today is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Next week, you're going to have Chris talk to you about uh, Zechariah and his song. And then the following, you're going to have another uh, pastor that's a friend of ours, a uh, friend of Legacy, friend of our church, Redeemer, a very close friend named Bill Jolly, come and talk about the song of Simeon. And then finally, right before Christmas, you're going to talk about the song of the angels on Christmas night, on the original Christmas night. And, and so we are talking about this and just want to show you here that uh, we're going to be spending the next four weeks talking about this. And basically, the pastors are rotating between the churches, and uh, I'm going to speak the same message at my church and then at Bill Jolly's church in three weeks. And so that's the way we're doing it. We're doing a, a joint sermon series. So this is the question, though, that really comes up from this text. And I just want to be really clear with you. Here's the question. What do you really want? What do you really want at Christmas? Really, what do you want? We see Mary, the mother of Jesus, she gets what she really, really wants. And it is so much bigger than what you and I would normally think. So, Luke chapter 1. I want to give you a little background here. What's happened is the angel Gabriel, you may have heard or remembered, has showed up and said, you are going to bear a son. God has overshadowed your womb, given you a baby. And this baby is going to have all the promises of David rest upon him. He's going to have a throne. He's going to have a kingdom. He's going to be holy. He's going to be the son of God. And, and Mary can't believe it. But ultimately she says in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. She says basically, yes, sir. Yes, sir. There are so many more mysteries. There's so many more adult worries that she's suddenly gotten into. There's so many issues that are being brought up. But ultimately, when she's on the spot in this miraculous event where the day before she was just normally going about her day and tying her shoes and eating the food that she normally has, what happens is she shows up on this day and this, this angel says, everything's changing and it's starting with your womb. And she says, yes, sir. So she doesn't seem to know what to do. She goes and visits her cousin. Now, her cousin is in the opposite stage of life. It's very old. She's past menopause. And then she's become miraculously pregnant. And her, her cousin's name is Elizabeth. And Elizabeth uh, sees her. She walks, and Mary walks into her house. And immediately her baby in her womb, which is, we know, John the Baptist, leaps for joy based on the baby, Jesus, in Mary's womb. 
And then Elizabeth breaks out into a word that says, here is the mother of my Lord. Mary's not said anything thus far. And she says, here is the mother of my Lord. And then she said, you are blessed, Mary, because you believe. Now that's the way the conversation ends. And you would think, how does Mary respond? Well, Mary, you would normally think, would say, hey, <laughs> let's sit down and talk about this. But she doesn't. Immediately she breaks into song. She breaks into song, and all of her words are directed to God, but they're for Elizabeth's ears as well. This is the way this relationship has totally been made new. Suddenly and miraculously, God uses to make the relationship about Jesus, but Mary's response is a song, and here's the first four verses of that. Mary said, Verse 46 of Luke chapter 1, And my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Now, I want you to just go back. Let's look at this. Look at what she says about God. First of all, she calls God the Lord. The Lord is the one that she submits herself under. He is in charge of all. He's the Lord. He's not only Lord, but He is Savior. You know, we often talked about Mary. If you come from a Catholic uh, background, we're taught that Mary was holy. But actually here, she needs a Savior. She is like you and me. She's like the 15-year-old girl on the street that we know that, that does have an immense amount of knowledge of God and who He is in her short little 15 years on this world. But, but, she is every day. She is a sinner. She needs a Savior. Jesus' name, rightly translated, is just Savior. If you just translated it out, as it was originally uh, described in Hebrew, it means Savior. And so she says, my Lord is Jesus. Jesus is my Savior. For he has looked on the humble state of his servant. What she says here is that God knows everything. God sees everything. And it's true for us. God knows our life. He sees our struggles. He sees where we're coming from. He sees when we've been made humble. He sees when we're having victories. And God has seen over all the things of the world, over all the things in the universe, of all the created things, he sees that she's in a humble place. And he has known this and known her personally. And then she says in verse 49 that he is mighty, that he is strong, that he is powerful, and holy is his name. He is a, has a name that's separate than everybody else's. It is great and far above. If I was going to boil down what I, she sees, is she sees God in all of his glory. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And this is where we get the title for the song, Magnificat. It's the Latin word. It, it is that she is in full praise. That she magnifies to make him bigger, like a magnifying glass. And she does this with her song. Because God, God is holy. God is all-knowing. God is her Lord. 
God is the mighty Savior. This is her God. And she's here to make him big, to show him in all his glory. Not that he needs her, but that Elizabeth needs a person to say, look up. Look up and see what God is doing. And this is what Mary's doing here. Notice how many times the word me is in there. Five times me or my. She describes herself as blessed. She did nothing to get this, but it was just grace. That she was given grace. She earned it. She didn't earn anything. Um, But God gave her grace. And most of all, she calls herself many times here a servant. She is the one that is under in a humble place that rightly understands she's in a dependent place. She is the humble one that completely says, God is all. And I am really nobody, but yet he has stepped down towards me. If I was going to explain it at all, I would use a cross chart. And, and some of you may have seen this before. It was originally written by Richard Lovelace and revised by Paul Miller. It basically talks about our life and what we see and our understanding of spiritual things when it comes to Christianity. And, and so from the left to right goes time. Well, early in our life, there is a place to where we may feel that God is holy, that God is separate, that God is far above, and we may feel that we're selfish or know that, but we can't quite see how those things make sense and meet together. But when we are converted, when we first believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose from the uh, dead, all of a sudden we get a glimpse of the cross. We see more of God's holiness and more of our sinfulness but we see that the cross is the thing that bridges the two. That Jesus Christ's death on the cross paid the penalty for our sins so that we are not judged by God, but yet the cross becomes a bridge, a connection between us and God. It's grace. It's a gift. It was given to us freely. And and so when we first become a Christian, we see it. But as we grow in maturity... If all goes the way God intends and plans, and if we're not grieving Him or pushing back, what we'll see is more and more of God's holiness. He is greater than we ever thought. And our sin is deeper than we ever imagined. And so the the cross, the bridge, the span gets bigger and bigger. And so as a result, the older you get by the way it's designed, your worship grows stronger and stronger in your heart. It moves from just a Sunday morning experience to, as Wes described, an everyday experience, a a full worship, a full time to where you live in light of the cross. And this is God's design for you. This is God's intention for you. And I think this is a great summary of what Mary is dealing with. What's interesting here is she responds to worship. She sees the Savior. She sees the span between God's holiness and her sinfulness. She sees the greatness of God and she magnifies the Lord. And when she magnifies the Lord, all of her worries melt. All of those adult concerns pass away. And she sings. And she realizes she's getting what she really wants for Christmas. What do you really want for Christmas? What do you really want for Christmas? 
Are you merely wanting to get through the holidays? Are you trying to do the gift that matches equally but not equally more or less than the other person that's given to you? You know, do you usually know how she usually spends about 20 bucks on me, so I'm going to spend 20 bucks on her? You know, this whole gift of equilibrium. Is it about is it about your travel plans? Is it about trying to get a certain amount of work done by the end of the year and, and numbers? Is it merely about that? Is that what you really want for Christmas? Is that what you really, really want? Mary wants so much more. If you and I are really humble like Mary and we're desperate, we're actually in place in the place of getting what we really, what our hearts really want for Christmas. Better than if we think we're okay and we got it together. Mary's prayer goes a lot more than just her and God. Her song gets even bigger. Let's keep reading here. Verse 50. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And he's exalted those of humble state. He has filled the hungry with good news. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring, forever. What does she say about God here? Well, look, let's go look back. His mercy is for those who fear Him. Fear means to worship, as we've already described. It's to hold God reverently. There's a sense of trembling there, but there's a sense of awe. There's a sense of astonishment there, but, but there's a sense of, uh, of, of concern, of standing before a holy God. And yet what you find there is, again, that cross that mercy that is the perfect display of God's loyal love that never stops that never gives up that's always unceasing it's his forever love as Sally Lilly joins joins describes his mercy is for those who feared him for he has showed strength with his arm he is powerful he is sovereign he is completely in control in light of all the political leaders, in light of all their strengths, in all light of all the richest people in the world. He is the one that is in control. He is the one with strength. In verse 53, he fills the hungry, those that are dying for him, those whose soul longs for him. He fills the hungry with good things. The rich, on the other hand, they don't need or they don't think they need to be filled so they walk away empty. And he does this because he's faithful. He remembers his mercy. He's faithful to his people forever. You see what Mary is really wanting for Christmas is a lot more than just her and Jesus. It's about the world being turned upside down. It's about the political leaders, the ones that have power, the mighty coming off their thrones. It's about the rich, those that are really in control of the economy, uh, about them 
not being the ones in charge. It's, it's about so much more. It's about a social, it's about political, it's about economic, it's about a world changing and turning upside down. And it says here, from now on, this is the way it's going to be. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but celebrities don't stay on top very long without getting their faces on the front of some magazine at the grocery store. I don't know if you know this, but many NFL players, they don't stay in that limelight for long without falling apart in some ways. I don't know if you know this, but who was on the Forbes list of the most wealthy people 20 years ago, almost none of them are on the list of the most wealthy people in the world anymore. I don't know if you know this, but there's a gravity that pulls down to humility. That God's grace, by His grace, pulls us down to who we really are. People, that everything that we're given is from God. And He calls us and pulls us down for both feet to be on the ground. Like a child in complete dependency upon Him. It's a natural law. It's the way things roll, and Mary's song is reflecting this. What she really wants for Christmas is for social Darwinism, of survival of the fittest to be pulled away. What she's really longing for is the religious person that's trying to work their way to God by doing great things and doing the right thing, doing cool things, and being the number one church leader, this or that, or whatever, that those people would be pulled down, that everybody would be on the place of what they really are, humble and open, a child. It's completely dependent upon God. This is Mary's prayer. You know, the gospel is not just only about us individually and God. It's about the whole world turning upside down. It's about both. They're both very true. Here's the question I have for you. What do you really want for Christmas? Because sometimes Christmas is about getting what you want. What do you really want for Christmas? You know, uh, the last few years have been the most difficult years I've ever had in my entire life. And uh, I had a real meltdown, honestly. I am only still a pastor by the grace of God. And um, it started five years ago with God calling us to adopt. Um, turned into a huge race issue uh, with my parents. We adopted a child from Knoxville, African-American little boy. It's it split my relationship with them. My mom died in the middle of it. We had an unreconciled conflict. Normally, uh, really good background. Um, we brought up a child in foster care. We had to watch him go away. and He's come back, and by the grace of God, uh, he was moving to adoption this month, our two-year-old. But, you know, uh, it has undone me. Uh, the conflict the pressures, the worries, much less leading a church uh, that by God's grace is doing well, is very healthy. Um, it's undone me. I had to fire somebody last year, watch my kids go through the teenage years very recklessly. Um, 
It's undone me. And I remember about a year ago, I was talking uh, to a pastor in our network, uh, Acts 29, and uh, he's a friend of mine named Martin Scott. And Martin said, uh, you know, John, do you think I really, you think I really fit with our friends? I was like, yeah, Martin, I mean, you're great. He goes, I don't know, I'm just a, I'm just a grace guy. And I hung up the phone and I thought about it and I said, you know what, that was just as much a comment about me as it was our friends. Now, I was thankful that he, he shared that with me. But then I started asking myself, am I really a grace guy? And what I started to notice was doing all these good and noble things, like, like adoption or foster care, or working for racial reconciliation, all these great good things you know, I'm doing all the right things, pastoring, all that stuff is creating in me a very religious heart that I kept on thinking, well, at least I'm doing it right. You know, my teenagers going up and down all this stuff, I'm thinking, well, at least I'm doing the best I can as a parent. And what was happening was suddenly my vision, because of pride, my vision of the cross started to blind myself, and, and the cross started to shrink, actually that because of my pride, I really thought I was a pretty good person and I really thought, you know, God's standards weren't quite as high. I thought I was meeting those standards, so the, the cross started to shrink. And it was killing me. It was killing me. And when Martin said that, I walked away saying, am I really a grace guy? Well, I thought about it for three or four weeks, and then I called my mom, and, I mean, my um, wife, and I said, um, honey, I'm a religious man, and I'm falling apart. And I'm falling more apart based on the pride in my heart and based on me doing all the right things, or at least I think I'm doing all the right things. I'm falling more apart that than I am from the circumstances. The circumstances are really hard. But I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm running towards grace. And if you want to come, please come. Our family has become a religious family because we, we trust more in our harmony in our family than we really trust in Jesus. And because it's being broken apart by all these decisions, we're all freaking out. It shows what we're really serving. And I, you know, I want our family to go. But even if our family doesn't go, I'm running towards grace. And for the first six months of... Uh, 2014, I just started really pounding that in myself. But what happened was circumstances got harder and harder and harder and stronger and stronger and stronger. And finally, I went away and just had a season in the month of June of saying, you know what? I'm running towards grace and I'm focusing on the love of my father that I've been searching for my father, my real father, and I found out that my real father is a heavenly father, but he's also a child, and he's come to give me what I really, really want, which is love, which is mercy, which is grace. And I want to tell you something. The last five months, I've had this most significant spiritual high I've ever had in my entire life. And the reason is, not because of anything I've done, but because he continues to save me from myself. You know... The last verse here is verse 56. And Mary remained with Elizabeth 
about three months and returned to her home. You see at the last line there. Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. You know, this was a conversation that started out with someone praising God and the other one responding with such strong praise that she sings. And grace had defined this relationship. And listen, when you have a relationship that's defined by grace, you just want to stay there. And she does. She stays for three months. Many of you guys, God is calling you to ask what you really, really want for Christmas. And I hope you're saying what I really, really want is Jesus. What I really, really want is for him to change my heart, my life, my world my family and to bring everything back down to where everybody is the way they really are in childlike dependency upon God. I hope that's at your prayer. There are other people in the room here. It's, that's their prayer too. And you will perhaps metaphorically sing one another the praises of Jesus together you will preach the gospel back and forth to one another and community is developed from that and legacy much like my church is has several people that are not engaged in community but listen this is the way that you see God magnified is watching God change the lives of people around you you need one another I hope that you're asking for this Christmas that you'll get what you really want. And I hope that's Jesus in a community of people that are singing his praises because from that he changes the world in the same way that Mary is blessed and has changed the world. I want you to close your eyes and let's pray for a minute and I want you to just pray about what you really, really want this Christmas. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that Christmas is sometimes about getting. Getting what we really want. In fact, perhaps Christmas is always about getting you who came and was the humble one that was brought down from a throne in heaven to earth that had all the riches in the world and forfeited them all to become a nobody. Jesus Christ, a simple baby, laying in a manger, so poor he didn't even have a room to sleep in. Christmas is about getting Jesus. Christmas is about humility. And Christmas is about faith. And we pray to you 
in faith, praying for what we really want this Christmas. And that's Jesus. Please, we beg you, give us Him again and again and again that our hearts would be filled with praise. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the next few songs, we want to invite you to communion. Communion is when Jesus, on the night before he's betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. And he took the cup, which is the new covenant in his blood, and he said, this is my blood which is shed for you. As often as you eat and drink of this, do this in remembrance of me. And so we want you to partake communion knowing that this has been done. The gift is here. It is now. You don't have to wait till Christmas Day. It is here. That grace is now that he forgives and loves, embraces you. And you've never believed before. This would be a great way to say you believe. And if you have believed, it would be a great way to understand that the cross is more much greater than you thought. As you do it, we want to encourage you to pray with people in your community group or someone in your family or roommate or someone you came with to pray to, to be able to preach the gospel over one another in communion. It's a wonderful gift he's given us. So when you're ready, please join us over the next few songs.